there was a, a mom who was concerned about her young son, Timmy, walking to primary school. He wanted some level of independence. The primary school wasn't very far away, but she naturally wanted to make sure that he was safe. So she had an idea. She was going to ask a neighbor who had a young daughter herself if she wouldn't mind walking to school behind Timmy so that he wouldn't notice her and that she could keep an eye on him. So the first morning of school came, and uh, right enough, Timmy set off for school with a little friend, and the neighbor walked a safe distance behind with her little daughter. And this went on every day of the week. As time went on, the two boys walked and chatted, and Timmy's little friend said, I've noticed there's a lady and a young girl who seem to be following us every day of the week. Have you noticed it? Do you know why they're following us? Timmy replied, yeah, I know who she is. That's just Shirley Goodnest and her daughter, Marcy. Shirley Goodnest, who's she and why is she following us? The little friend asked. Well, Timmy explained, every night my mom makes me say the 23rd Psalm with my prayers because she worries about me so much. And in the psalm it says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, so I suppose I'm just going to have to get used to it. I grew up in St. Philians in East Belfast, the Church of Ireland Church. I was part of the youth fellowship there, and when I was in my mid-teens, I asked Jesus Christ to take over management of my life, to give me a new life and to be in charge. I'm so grateful to all the men and the women who encouraged and supported me in following Jesus Christ, BB officers, youth leaders, ministers, members of the church, including a man called Bob who was about 60 years old at that time and who was a real blessing to me from the Lord. At 18, I went to university in England, returning home for the holidays, and when I was home, I went to church at St. Philian's each week. After the service, Bob often would make a point of coming over to chat to me. I remember even now his beaming smile. He was a tall man with curly hair. He always remembered my name. He was so interested in how I was doing. And the interaction was as simple as that. Yet recently the Lord brought Bob to mind and our conversations from over 30 years ago. And I sensed the Lord saying to me, Nigel, I sent Bob to bless you. It takes a Christian, it takes a church to raise a Christian. Parents play the primary role in raising their children as followers of Jesus, but it's a role we all have the responsibility and privilege of sharing in. The roots of these truths lie in the Old Testament. The Bible begins with God creating a man and a woman in his image and commanding them to be fruitful and multiply and to reign over all. Human beings, as we know, decide to redefine what is good and evil, to suit themselves, and they create, we create a painful mess, which leads to spiritual and physical death. But the Lord, in his mercy, binds himself to Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, through a series of blood covenants with a view to saving all nations. And so in our reading, we've been reading in these last eight weeks, the first five books of the Bible, and we've come now to the start of Deuteronomy. 
And in that, we can see that the ancient nation of Israel is poised to enter the promised land, the land promised to Abraham and his descendants, so that the Lord can bless them in that land. The terms of the covenant have been delivered in parts along the route to Canaan, but now, just before he dies, Moses conveys the terms of the covenant once again, and this time all at once. Central to those instructions is the Shema, which we heard this morning and which forms part of Jewish daily prayer. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then Moses says to the people, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It was a call to very intentional giving of instruction to their children and grandchildren as they entered Canaan and sought to avoid being polluted by the local pagan practices, which included child sacrifice and overtly sexualized worship. In fact, later in Deuteronomy, Moses spells out some of the practices which were commonplace in the land. He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. There were all sorts of harmful practices which the nation's children and adults were going to be, need to be protected from. Clear instruction was vital about what was helpful and what was harmful. The primary privilege and responsibility for instructing children lay with their parents. Often we think that that commandment, honor your father and mother though, is simply obey your own parents, but it means much more than that. It's primarily a commandment given to a nation. It's a commandment given to the adults who are listening to Moses. And it has attached to it a promise for the ancient nation of Israel so that you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Israel was to honor not just their own fathers and mothers, they were to honor all fathers and mothers. They were the ones with the primary responsibility to instruct their children in obeying the Lord with a holy fear. For us, as the people of the new covenant of the Lord's grace towards us in Jesus Christ, the role of parents within the community of faith is reinforced. So in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes these instructions for households to help the local church live by the Spirit. 
He writes, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will live a long life on the earth. Fathers, Paul continues, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And then Paul, writing to young Titus, a young church leader, exhorts him with these words. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Sometimes we get stuck on Paul's reference to wives working in their own homes, thinking that somehow he's outlawing women working outside the home, but Paul is simply referring to the cultural norms at the time. He doesn't want Christianity to be brought into ill repute. In Acts chapter 16, we read that when Paul and Silas were in Philippi, they accepted the hospitality of Lydia who was a businesswoman and a dealer in purple cloth. We need to embrace again the Bible's instructions on marriage, the raising of children, and what it means to be a healthy church family. If we are to enjoy the Lord's blessing and to see the children of our church develop as robust and well-equipped followers of Jesus Christ so that the world will be transformed for good. As church in the West, we are not doing well at supporting traditional marriage. It's being undermined from all sorts of different directions. Often governmental policy seeks to subvert family in order for the state to take authority away from the family unit. It's most markedly seen within communist regimes. It's becoming increasingly popular in the United Kingdom. Feminism labels marriage as a repressive institution from a bygone age. Obsession with sex in our society undermines the faithfulness of marriage. Expressive individualism puts personal rights above sacrificial love and tries to redefine what marriage is. We need to support traditional marriage with our actions, conversations, and prayers, praying particularly for the marriages within the church family. Marriage between a husband and a wife is a temporary sign of the permanent union, the permanent marriage between Christ and us, His church. So in the church, none of us is separated from the culture of marriage. 
Together we are married to Christ. That's what baptism is all about, union with Christ. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, brought into the eternal family of the church by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's ensure that we look out for everyone and exercise hospitality to everyone, particularly those who are not married. We are called together to be family. And Jesus made it crystal clear in his teaching that as the family of the church, there is one allegiance to which we are called, which is greater than that of the natural family. And that is allegiance to the family of faith. Children are to be welcomed into the family of faith as divine image bearers, glad responsibilities and gifts from the Lord to be brought up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. It's a privilege and responsibility for us all to nurture the children of the church as followers of Jesus Christ. We baptize infants because they are covenant children and should receive the sign of the covenant. For ancient Israel, the sign of the blood covenant was circumcision. The sign for us, the new covenant people, is water baptism. So we baptize infants to acknowledge that they are members of the church family and that we share responsibility for them. But as church in the West, we are not doing well at raising our children in the Christian faith. Most of our children abandon church by early adulthood. We may wonder what we can do in this time of massive social and cultural change in which the family seems more fragile than ever. We may feel powerless to transform the world, but you have the, trans you have the power to transform your world. You have the power to transform your home. You have the power to transform your marriage if you're married. As a church, Together, we have the power to shape this church family by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a community of disciples making disciples. So I want to encourage you. Fill your home and life with Christ. Fill your home with Scripture and with truth. May there be Christian books on your shelves, Christian books and magazines on your coffee tables, verses of Scripture in frames on the walls, Christian calendars, Christian art, a cross. I love it to walk into a home and to be able to see in the first few seconds a clear sign that this is a Christian household. Every mealtime, let's give thanks for food. Let's talk about Jesus Christ in our conversations with everyone with whom we live. Before I became a parent, I remember asking a fellow Church of Ireland minister who had three lovely daughters, I remember asking him, how is it that you are raising three godly daughters? And I never forget what he told me. He said, we talk about Jesus Christ in everyday conversation because he is as much a member of this family as everybody else. 
Moses said, in the future, your children will ask you, why do you do what you do? Tell them all the Lord has done in delivering you out of Egypt with a strong hand, he told them. Your children will ask lots of questions. The children of this church will ask lots of questions. Why do we go to church? Why do we do what we do? And with God's wisdom, we give them the very best answers we can. And that's both in a formal setting and an informal setting. Moses makes that clear. And so, I would encourage you, as a family, whether you have children or not, whether you live by yourself, whether you're married, whether you have children, whatever, have prayer times and Bible readings morning and evening. Play worship music in your home. Sing worship music in your home. Fill your home with Jesus Christ. And let anyone with whom you live, even if they come just to visit you for a weekend or a week, let them see what it looks like to live a Christian life. Don't be afraid to let them see you worship the Lord, to pray, to read the Bible, to give, and to serve. We have fallen into the trap for too long that Christianity is a private faith. It is not. It is personal and public. It always has been. It always will be. Our other family members, our children, should see us worshiping the Lord, not just here, but in our homes. They should see us singing our hearts out, praying, giving, being part of all the discussions of what it means to live in a Christian life. And let's lead by example. Remember that your life is a powerful example to others, especially those younger than you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Live lives, as Paul says, worthy of respect. Uphold marriage and honor parents. And share in the privilege and responsibility of raising children with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And turn up here every week. On behalf of my own family, and on behalf of my church family, of this church family, I want to say thank you to those who turn up here every, every week. You know who you are. And can I say, for these last 18 years that we've been here, you have had a powerful influence on our life because we know that every week we turn up, every week we turn up, you're going to be here. And that has a powerful impact on our family. I want to encourage us to look out for opportunities to encourage others. And adults need to be encouraged too. And that can be done in such simple ways. As I said, that man, Bob, 30 years ago, he just took time to get to know my name and ask me how I was doing, realizing that when you're away at university and coming back, you can feel very isolated. And that made a massive difference to my life as a young man in my 20s. I was really inspired recently by reading the story of a Christian author who became a Christian as a young man despite the fact that he had no connection with any church and his family were not believers. He told his barber when he was getting his hair cut, 
And the older man invited him around to his house that Thursday evening. They had a meal together with his wife, and afterwards the barber took the young man into another room, and they sat and they read the Bible, and the older man explained to the younger man how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that got stronger and stronger every day. Every Thursday for a year, that pattern continued. The young man had a meal with the man and his wife, and afterwards he read the Bible with his barber and he prayed. Let's also be willing to learn, to learn from our parents and older believers. Don't just rely on books and the internet, which have no idea of your context and don't know you and may not care about you at all. Consider in asking an older Christian of the same gender to meet with you regularly to help you develop in your faith and give them permission to ask you searching questions. And finally, let's invest in children and young people. If we are not instructing our children, someone else will. Currently, as a church in the West, we are allowing others to instruct our children. Potentially, one of the most dangerous things we can do is put our children in front of a screen or put a smartphone in their hand. Smartphones can be very useful. I have one in my pocket now. But they can be very, very dangerous. The destiny of our children's and young people's lives depends on who instructs them. We learn by repetition, which is why Moses instructs the people of Israel to teach the Lord's commands to their children by repeating them again and again and again to their children. If our children are to hear the voice of the Lord above a constant noise of humanism, materialism, and individualism, then we need to be thoroughly intentional and comprehensive in the instruction of our children. And so with things like screens and tablets, the primary dangers are not so much to do with social, loss of social interaction and pornography, serious though those are but being shaped by the way the device wants to be used and drawn into an unsupervised world in which they are bombarded with subtle and sometimes not so subtle anti-Christian influences, including the non-stop game of self-comparison via social media. And that is to say nothing of the fact that so often we break the law as parents by letting them go on the platforms that have age restrictions, often at the age of 16. I believe many parents and many Christian parents break the law by letting their children on the platforms that they're not allowed to go on to. We are training our children to enter into Canaan. We are preparing our young people and adults to live in Canaan. Not just so they can survive, and frankly, 
We need to face up to the fact that most of our children do not survive. But so that they can be powerful agents of healing and hope. And so that they will be mightier than us. Our vision should be not that they will make it to adulthood and attend a church. It should be much more than that. It should be that they become more powerful than we are. That will take immense investment of love and time. It takes more energy to raise children than almost anything else. We live in a society which is exhausted trying to raise children on its own terms. As a church, we have the privilege beyond measure and never has it mattered more to be involved in that process. We have the privilege to model to the world what it looks like when a community honors the Lord's order of creation and, and follows His commands in this world as we prepare for the world to come. It takes a church to raise a Christian. It always has and it always will. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And until the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the lover of our souls, returns for us his bride. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would give us fresh courage and compassion. And Father, I pray that you would wake up the church in the West. And I pray that you would wake us up. I pray you would wake me up. 